If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? That's the great question. <laughs> what is the long-term effect of too much information? Dio and Gene again. Welcome to episode three of the Wine Jar Cynics. Today's date is September thirteenth. No, it's fourteenth actually. Yeah, it's the fourteenth. That's crazy. Time flies. Twenty twenty. Let's talk about our abstract. So, what was what were we talking about in episode two? Do you remember? Uh, I forgot already. It probably <laughs> didn't matter, right? It probably didn't. It's unimportant. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, modern versus. Yeah, Old we talked cynics. about yeah, modern idea of cynicism versus the old idea of a cynic. So what do you th what was the takeaway you think? Um that for my personal takeaway was that I mean it's just a pillar. It's a pillar that we should follow the more traditional sense of cynicism other than the Pissing in the streets. Oh, pissing in the streets. Okay, we're not <laughs> we're not there yet. That's episode four. Pissing and shitting in the streets, that's episode four. Mm. And also, you know, getting, you know, chewing, uh, chewing on bones and the ankles of passerbys and all that. The, the shamelessness. The shamelessness of cynicism. But yeah, pretty much was, um, there's obviously a difference, right? Cyn old cynicism, like you said, there's the, diff the pillars of... Cynicism was self-autonomy, self-sufficiency, uh, living in accordance with nature, all that freedom. And mo and then uh, modern cynicism is really just kind of being an asshole. I'm just kidding. Not, not being an asshole. We talked about that. Like the story in China when that girl approached me and stuff. You know, just, it's, I mean, having a bit of distrust is not a bad thing if you know how to adjust it. That's the golden mean, by the way. Well, I think it's it's more just... I think people use it as like a a defense. Be, yeah, but yeah, I think it is a defense. It's not a bad thing though. I mean more, I mean um, as a way of to dismiss people in a defensive way. It's like oh. having it oh, there's two sides of it, right? Within yourself, it's just like I don't think people think of it as like, "Oh, I'm a cynic." Ever. Mm -hmm. At least I've never felt that. You just like naturally have a sense like i said of more of like a street smarts maybe that was like how it was reimagined yeah it's not a trait not a, it's a trait not a um badge of honor because some people kind of see it as a badge of honor almost yeah and so on the other side of things if people are always questioning people will say oh why are you so cynical but it's more of his like yeah bill burr bill burr said that you're so cynical man to dismiss people to not have to like discuss certain topics in detail yeah i've heard things. about that yeah exactly i think that's kind of you're cynical. Yeah, it's like, well, how? It's like same thing like you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, then prove me wrong or something like that. It's like, well... Don't just dismiss my ideas because you don't have anything to say about them to refute them. Exactly. That's why I'm really tempted to kind of almost use the old word 
for cynicism, which is pretty much. Um, oh yeah, by the way, we <laughs> the Greek letters are here. I can't. My Greek is pretty bad. It would be. The, I I can saw that. But can you read that? Wait, oh, I see it there. No, I cannot. Wish read we it. can screenshot it. It was a uh, kunikos. Yeah, kunikos means it's an old cynic. And then, um, I mean, that would essentially be pronounced. We'll use the Latin pronunciation with the C as cine. So I think that is the Latin pronunciation. But reality, we could call it kinicism, really, and rebrand it. Hey, you heard about those kinicists? <laughs> maybe, maybe. That'd be hilarious <laughs> if we rebranded it. Yeah, you're. A, I'm not a cynic. I'm a kinist or a kinic. I, I think it would need more of a, a modern rebranding. Or you a, could a call. Or phrase. you could use the old Greek word kunikos. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. I can't read Greek too well. I wish we could show <laughs> the people here w- these little letters. I think it it, it sounds. It's. I don't know. It's a little too <laughs> jumpy. <laughs> yes. I'm a kunikos. And I'm not sure it would catch on. It sounds too funny, like cartoonish. Yeah. Are you saying Greek is a funny sounding language? Kunikos is a funny sounding <laughs> word. Kunikos does sound <laughs> it sounds like, like a cereal or something. No, no, no. It sounds like, it sounds like a some kind of exotic um some kind of exotic like sea creature. Like, oh, you see that kunikos? Maybe it could fit into like an anime. Cala- like calamari. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't sound like a, a philosophy. <laughs> yeah, a philo- kinesism sounds better. It that sounds, sounds like, better. It sounds like kinetic energy, like, you know what I mean? Kin- yeah, so it sounds kinetic. Like, sounds kind of kinetic. Cool. Yeah, the K in it instead of the C. But then we we could just say old or old cynic, obviously. Or but then people might just take it as like you don't know how to read. <laughs> like, no, but why you're are you pronouncing it that way. Well, you you put a K instead of a C. Yeah, though. but if you said it. What do you? Oh yeah, you say it out loud. People will be like, "No, it's cynicism." You're like, "No, it's well, because the German the way of saying." Because I think in German, it's it's cynicism, zinishin. So depends on the language too. Well, I mean, but yeah, for in- if we're in the states, hey, hey, they don't know that we're in the states. Don't tell them that if we're in Canada, eh? <laughs> don't tell them. You know, I thought we were trying to be anonymous here. Anyway, let's start with the epigraph today. What's the epigraph? It's a funny way of saying, quote. Do you like that, epigraph? Yeah, it's cool. All right, let's start with today's epigraph. I know you won't believe me, but the highest form of human excellence is to question oneself and others. Socrates. What do you think of that quote? That uh, sounds like you, to be honest. You question everything. Well, I you think always, you're a questioner? always had the idea of like knowing yourself, so... I agree. I think there's so much you can't really personally get past until you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And much of what we don't know about ourselves is just stuff we've forgotten or repressed. That's very deep, man. Yeah. Why well, are you trying to make me cry? <laughs> what are, you, are you trying to give me trauma? It's like, oh, shit, the re- things are repressed. All that fucking trauma and like, me getting beat as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I repressed that. Thank but, you, Dio. But that's what happens. It's no, like, it's true. It's like uh, you need to revive yourself every day. That's almost. Or at a certain point, I think you need to do a deep dive into yourself. And this could take a while. Yeah, that's an interesting topic that we can uh, reference. But anyway, um, let's get on with the first, the beginning of the episode. Um, I want to call this the episode of, of the, the history of cynicism. But the thing is, it's not really the history. It's really the ideas and the stories of of the founding fathers of cynicism, really the old cynic, cynics, 
which is Socrates, Antisthenes, and Diogenes. Well, I, I that's why I said in episode four, that's where you where you have the pissing and shitting, really, because that's Diogenes. It's the fun stuff. Yeah, that's Diogenes episode. So, but um, I really think it's kind of like the Holy, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father is pretty much Socrates. Then the Son is Antisthenes. Then the spirit of cynicism or the symbol is Diogenes. That's the way I see it. That's blasphemy. (laughs) How about I call it? How about I call it the? Oh, but it's funny enough that really um, ties into today's episode because remember Socrates was executed for pretty much saying (laughs) that he didn't believe in the gods, essentially, right? Mm. Um, The irony. It that's crazy, yeah. But anyway, um, there is like power in threes. But yeah, no, three is a very powerful number. It's uh, the trilogy, yes. the tri- trifecta, that triumvirate, yeah. whatever, of the cynics, whatever you want to call it. So there's something there. You know, uh, it's funny because I brought that up because I was thinking about um, this one meme from back in the day where they um, titled Carl Sagan as the father of pop science and educational science and the son is Neil deGrasse Tyson and the Holy Spirit is... is um, What's it called? Uh, Bill Nye, because you know Neil deGrasse Tyson was the the pupil of of Carl Sagan. Bill Nye's a clown now, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says some interesting <laughs> stuff. I'll tell you that. And he's not a scientist; he's an engineer, really. But that was I just referencing referencing the meme. If anybody in form remembers that meme, they used to, you know, spread it in the science community and all that. I want to remove Bill Nye from that list. Who do you put as the spirit then of science, of pop science? The spirit? Bill Nye is the spirit? Yeah, well, because he had that show and everybody used to watch him and stuff, so he's kind of the third pop educator that's really famous for science. Back yeah. back then, he yeah, had back then. something going. Yeah, back then. That's what no, I'm he's, referencing. He's, he's weird now. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a bit... <laughs> he kind of lost a step. Uh, I don't know who I would put there. I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, I guess it's like the old people, the old. There's someone trifecta. there. There's definitely a figure you could put in place. Yeah, but yeah, Bill Nye was pretty iconic, though. You remember watching him when you were a kid? No, definitely, he was yeah. iconic. That's what um, I mean. That's why I put him there because it's more about his iconicness rather than his scientific accuracy and all that. It's more about. I just don't think he aged well. Yeah, that's that's true. We, you want to talk about Bill Nye now? <laughs> no, but that's I'm just we could I'm just hating on him. Screw that <laughs> to not be included. <laughs> like, what are you a cynic? I'm just you're, you're being cynical that. right now. I don't like that. I'm just hating on him, but not really. I have my reasons. All right. Um, remember his? St- <laughs> I can't believe I wrote this. His story. It's not. It's not history. It's his story. Which essentially this is what most all of this is because a lot of it's just accounts from other people. And there's a lot of conflicting ideas about what was. Yeah, everything is. It's crazy how when we were were, um, researching this, a lot of it, you had different conflicting sources on like the lives of these people. Because some people, because, you know, for example, Plato, he spoke very favorably of Socrates, but he put his own twist on it. And I think that's what um, Antisthenes didn't like is that he was kind of branding Socrates as being very similar to his own ideas rather than. Instead, um, keeping him, yeah. his ideas, how he would have said them rather than mm-hmm. how he interpreted them. You know what I mean? Yes. Kind of that's, that's the conflict of interest. So it's a, a, 
uh, almost the epitome of his 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 story. story. Yes, exactly. It's on. not history. His story. Mm. But anyway, let's talk about one of the most important ideas of the first man, Socrates, my man. By the way, Mac wanted us to eventually. He uh, originally he wanted us to call him Socrates. By the way, Mac is going to be on the show. He's going to be a recurring character when he's, you know, not doing work. <laughs> anyway, um, the Socratic dialogue. You've heard, obviously, I think everybody has heard of the Soc- Socratic dialogue, right? Something very, uh, funny enough, revolutionary at the time because most people, when they thought of philosophy, they saw they saw philosophy more like um, the sophists, you know, rhetoric, grammar, logic. But this philosophy was branded different, differently by Socrates. He was seen as the father of Western philosophy for that reason because he questioned the way you even do philosophy. Not just logic, not just all that, but debates through this dialogue. And a debate, you know, trying to reach, trying to elicit information and knowledge rather than just about winning or something. I think it's uh, something that people have lost nowadays, I think, too. It's just kind of about... I mean, when you get into these partisan issues, it's definitely been lost. But generally speaking, like within like a, a project, for example, people still have that. You still, If you start like a company with some people, but it, it just comes down to certain issues which are partisan where people go for the, the win Make it a or, or also just something that's maybe emotion. People are more emotionally attached to as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's yeah. a, that's probably the core of it. But anyway, um, yeah, that's kind of BBC. What we're trying to brand is that branded as BBC. Bring back civility. Bring back the Socratic dialogue where people could just sit down, talk, and even if they disagree with each other, you know, have the uh, the. The idea of good faith that we're doing and not because we want to win or make it a blood sport because uh, we want to see different ideas. I mean, but, okay, in some cases, I mean, you don't want to go for the win, but in the end. But you do want to. Unfortunately, there is a winner or a loser. Yeah, technically. mm -hmm. Because if you're being inconsistent or you're calling out people using names, stuff like that, ad hominems. Well, like, for example, if you're trying to pass a law or legislation. Yeah, there is. You, mm-hmm. It's like you, if it's like, um, uh, for example, like, um, uh, some marriage thing or abortion thing, it's either you get what you want or you don't. Yeah, that is true. But so, it, and that's where it comes into like the emotional side of it, where it becomes so partisan where, yeah, you really, you lose or you win. Mm-hmm. I think I'm talking, maybe I'm talking about this, Topics in in general, like philosophy, not maybe not for partisan issues, because yeah, obviously partisan issues. Yeah, you do want to depict. You know, do you want your values to be voted in mm-hmm. and put into legislation? So I get that. You know what I mean. But if we're talking about certain issues, it depends. Like if we're talking, you know, man to man. You know, just to yeah. see what we what we want to what your side of the story is and what my side of the story is. We should be able to have dialogue and if it's like uh but yeah obviously if argument yeah. we should still be able to keep it civil when discussing even those partisan issues yeah i mean we're not 
It do, that's <laughs> why con- makers here. That's why context is important. Yeah. Yeah. It's you don't have to get aggressive with every individual you meet because you're so emotional about something. But yeah, that's why debate is important because you know inevitably it'll generate op- opposing views. That's that's healthy in my opinion to generate opposing views just to see. It's like, what do people think this? Right, right. And I think that's why maybe people thought it was revolutionary because you know most people probably weren't questioning things. They thought because Athenians believed that their democracy and their ways were the best. Right. There's no need to criticize them. You know, whereas Socrates came in and said, "Well, give me a second. I want to." still bring up different arguments and ideas and people were that's probably why you got into trouble you know later in the story you know spoiler alert <laughs> right dun, dun, dun. but anyway yeah it kind of creates constructive tension out of where bold ideas can emerge debate you know what i mean sometimes you might even find out something that you never even thought of until somebody even people who you might think are less educated than you could, you know, bring up, you know, that's why you have to be humble. Maybe there's somebody who you think, ah, this guy, I can easily win this debate. There's nothing he could teach me, but you never know. Maybe there is some experience he had where he can bring up something that you never even thought of. I think, I mean, if it's not, <laughs> I think the every, every, the every, com- <laughs> every, co- <laughs> every conversation Shouldn't be seen as a debate. I think that's also part of it. <laughs> it's just sometimes you just gotta. <laughs> like, What's so funny? I don't know. Just the way you said it made me think of like. <laughs> there are stupid people, but like. Whoa! <laughs> we don't use those words here. But just talking with them and like making it into a debate when really it's just like discussing something. Yeah, that's. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> very hard, hurtful word you said. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on. You know, it's people like you know you you let someone speak, <laughs> and they're like so. Is dumb. math related to science? <laughs> and they're so dumb, but you just kind of nod your head. <laughs> Is math related to science? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, but you're trying to build, like you said. Funny enough, the other other aspect of debates that's very important that I think Socrates probably did it for. It's obviously yeah, you get more political you probably understand the political consensus if you, uh, consensus if you talk to more people that's probably what socrates was doing was doing you know cuz he had his own idea of how the the government should be run yeah there was a conflict of interest because he didn't believe in democracy he he questioned dem- athenian democracy you know and yeah, people were um, like hmm well you can't, you can't do that you know what i mean and that was something revolutionary i think in that time like, was it socrates who like didn't want like just anyone coming up and speaking on the floor to give their opinions on certain matters in government no i don't think so that that doesn't sound like socrates actually who was that um who does that sound like that sounds like the average athenian because you know athenians the average athenian because i don't believe socrates was the average athenian the average athenian was very uh, much classist and i think that's what kind of birthed diogenes you know because you have these people who are very homogenous, right? And they have their ideas on what how they should run their government, you know, with democracy and stuff like that. But they didn't want anybody they w- for example, like one of the people we want to talk about Antisthenes, you know, he happened to be half Thracian. You know, he wasn't a full Athenian. So therefore his um political opinion or philosophical opinion was considered irrelevant, right? So, and we'll get to that actually. 
Maybe that was his, like, when he was younger, he had those ideas. Could be. A, well, yeah, people change, you know. All right. Let's talk about Socrates' next idea, which was the definition of the good life. What was the good life? Well, he thought that the good life was more than just, you know, living your day, day you know, so routinely, so neatly constructed, you know what I mean, without questioning your existence and stuff like that. Stuff like that. That's how I explain it. Stuff like that. Um, but he says pretty much you need to think about your existence and question thing, uh, things around you. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? What do you do? You agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, you should be in the pursuit of understanding. That's understanding. It, it, what? It, it brings value to your life. Whatever it could be, whatever really. You're a cynic. I don't like that. <laughs> it could be. Shouldn't whatever. question things. <laughs> Not good. Why question things? I mean, you don't have to question everything. Just the stuff you're interested in. You question everything and go, <laughs> <laughs> go to a leukemia center. You're like, hmm, are these paid actors? Because you know, fuck, sometimes when like, yeah, kinda like, it's like when keeping it real goes wrong. Yeah, I right. Like, <laughs> like Alex Jones, he's like, hmm, these are all paid actors, right? You need some, <laughs> the Sandy Hook. <laughs> you need to have some sense of like this is how we know we're not going to survive on youtube because we're already bringing up you got to read the room sometimes (laughs) read the room question everything talk to the lady who's pregnant hmm i don't know you're not i don't know you're pregnant are you sure you're not trying to get free money or something yeah just get like a seat on the train (laughs) it's like a just fat how do i know you're really pregnant there's a fat chick who wants a seat on the train whoa whoa (laughs) have you ever seen that no, I haven't. I don't see weight. I don't believe in that. I think it's just a construct. People <laughs> bring up just to make people just to make people feel bad about themselves. We call it voluptuousness. Well, what if you said, "Oh, wow, congratulations," <laughs> and they're not pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> you, you got me. You got me there. Congratulations. It goes yeah, both you, ways. It's funny because. Have you ever had that that scenario where you kind of did something awkward like that and you say congratulations? He's like, I'm not pregnant. Um, not that I can. You never had any cringy moments like that where you kind of did something like, kind of like that. You have. I can't really think of 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 something like that, but I feel like if I was like super, maybe a little tipsy, maybe I might. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is like, enjoy your movie. You too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 The guy's questioning it. <laughs> like, imagine that guy's questioning it, questioning it, his existence. Like Socrates, wait a minute, he might have a, he might have a point. I might be living in a movie. I might be dreaming. My movie? What? <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, is he saying I should be a star? I knew it. I knew it. I'm in a simulation. I knew it. I was always attractive. I should have become a, a movie star. He's like, no, I'm not saying movie star. I said <laughs> I messed up. He's like, nah, I'm in a simulation. But it's funny because there are people like that. Who Have you met anybody who questions almost too much? Mm, no, because I would, I would maybe, not really, no. I feel like you're like that. <laughs> <laughs> I I am. I'm always, I'm, I enjoy the position of devil's advocate. Okay, okay, that's what it is. Because that I, I want to like. 
That was our first name, remember? Diablo's Advocate. Hey, someone's going to take it. <laughs> someone's going to take it now because we said it. I'm going to question that, your motive now. I because think. it's like, okay, you you say something, which, okay, I'll bite. <laughs> but... All right, all right. Let's move on. Let's move on to the good life. But I do, I do believe that is the good life because I think questioning things isn't bad. I think trying to understand things and inquiry and knowledge. I think it's, I think it's important. I think people, even for the average person who isn't like an intellectual or an academic or goes to university, I think it helps because they can understand themselves and what their values are. Even if you're not a politician, doesn't mean you shouldn't learn about the political process, right? Yeah. You yeah, gotta at least dabble. I mean, that's essentially what America was established on to uh, get your voice be represented. That's so. yeah, exactly. Based on this idea, yeah, of questioning things, especially the government, right? Right. That's what. That's a very important thing that the Greeks introduced. And well, I think not the Greeks, but in this case, it was a Greek, a Greek Socrates, because before that, it didn't seem like. Well, never mind, because the sophists also just come into the picture too, but we're going to talk about the sophists later, which were the original teachers, kind of philosophers before Socrates, that they were afraid of, I think, because I think they were outspoken against the government, against the Athenian government, so they were like, hmm. They're a bit authoritarian. Well, a lot of things. I mean, it was a democracy, but there was doesn't mean it's perfect, right? You would assume it's perfect, but there's a, a lot of things that, has to, that have to do with classism and race and all that and gender. Yeah, it kind of challenge. Well, challenge the status quo and. But I think that's that's um, funny enough. I'm going to relate to um, the cynics and Diogenes. But I think you can tell that some of his ideas really do kind of resonate with the cynics, because he did question people. He que- he questioned the status quo. He was a bit of a rebel, and he also taught the good life is pretty much. Self-sufficiency, because, you know, virtue is sufficient enough to gain happiness and it can be done on your own, through your own power, regardless of outside influences. But And yeah, he said the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think that's the reason the quote is relevant to cynicism is because if you don't examine or seek out truth or ideas about how your life should be, then you're probably going to base your life on the predetermined values of a society. That's why it's important to understand yourself. You think that's for everyone? You think everyone can handle that? I think so. What, about, what about people with just like emotional issues, depression? Why are you bringing me up? <laughs> I'm just, I'm questioning uh, it. You're, you're, you're not supposed to question this much. <laughs> I I do think like... Yeah, give your opinion. Give your opinion. I do that think it, not everyone can... Diablo, advocate. Can handle it. I think this is... A, and that's the idea of a republic. Funny enough. What you, I know what you're going to bring up. You're saying that the average person may sometimes that's too much for them to bear. And they kind of want representatives to choose things. They want to choose a representative based on some of the things they might value, right? Yeah, it's... that's what, Yeah, I think it was Socrates or Plato. I'm pretty No, it was Plato who said that uh, democracy was mob rule, right? I think the Romans also said that too. Whereas a republic is a democratic republic, right? Kind of like the USA. Well, yeah, democratic republic. Um, you ha- Instead of just having that burden on everybody, you can choose your representatives who best suit your needs and your ideas. But I kind of get that too. But I still think to a certain extent, people should understand what they 
want in life. And you know what I mean? You know? Yeah, some people, yeah, and whatever that may be. You should at least have some pursuit of that. But yeah, I, but anyway, the predetermined values, I do think if you don't understand yourself enough, you're probably going to go with the flow and go with the predetermined values that already exist in society. I think that's what the cynics were trying to teach against. Because if you know thyself, then you probably know... You, you. I think most people don't like the system, right? But at the same time, it's like, hmm, well, what do you do, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the, this. Because the you, system changes, you know? You find your own way to live. But in a sense, I mean, if you think about it, you, you, you try to find your own path. You want, like, your life to be yours. But outside influences kind of maybe project certain ideas onto you and kind of twist your own life and opinions unknowingly almost. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, a shadow force that is like could be influencing you. You sound like a conspiracy theorist. Like shadow hand. Use, using the word shadow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This shadow is like <laughs> I can imagine on YouTube. Oop, he used shadow. But I mean, he used cabal. So do not say those words, cabal. <laughs> cabal. <laughs> you use fall too. Don't don't say that. I mean, but shadow. Your education system. What's to say? People go. I mean. I don't know where you went to school, where I went to school, but they're different places. You don't know where I went to school? I do, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know where you went to school, but okay. How do you know that? Did you dox me? But, okay, difference of going to like a public or private school. You'll get a, a completely different experience and come out of it with different uh, opinions and values based off of that. I mean. Oh, really? Yeah. All right, give us an, give us your um your spiel. Well, it depends what, what do you what think they put private into the, sc- you went to a pri- into the curriculum. Yeah, you I went to a private school. Ew. I'm just kidding. It depends uh, what they put into the curriculum. So, well, yeah, I mean, we could talk about our differences. So, yeah, you went to a private school. I mean, K through 12, right? I, I was taught I was taught certain things that you don't get in a public school. Yeah, yeah. What are those things anyway? that you don't get in a public school? I mean, I was always I mean, like we like one thing we it, there was a, a much a stronger focus, at least within like the English curriculum, of kind of Western values. I mean, oh, le- interesting. Le- learning about uh, the Greek Greeks and the mythology, and even like taking even some studying of the Bible, even though it wasn't a Christian school, but just so much of the basis of kind of early Western civilization. And like it's important to learn because that's where a lot of uh, some of the greatest figures I know got this, their influence from. I know this is episode um, three, but I wish we had a forum so they could say, "Hey, you guys, you guys agree with that?" I can imagine people are like, "No, nah, I don't care." I mean, but I mean, but yeah, no, there's a difference. Yeah, name any like great historical figure. They were influenced. I mean, most of them were religious. Oh, you like history? Most name of them were name, religi- all, name all historical figures then. Most of them were religious and, and Christian. So much of their influence came from the Bible. So you should understand that to in order to understand. Well, at least their thought process, even if you don't believe with it. Yeah. I think that's what's important about the Socratic dialogue. Even if you don't get anything from it. But you didn't study that in school, did you? 
Let me think. When uh, not really the Christianity part, or really the what did we study? I forgot what we studied in school. I'm sorry. No mythology. You would know. I would think you would know because we that was a big. I know it because it was such a big part of the curriculum. Like we spent an entire year pretty much focused on Greek and Roman mythology. Yeah, we had a boring Eng- English class. I remember we just talked about we read um the um, what was that story? What was that um about the in american indian oh my god it you read like oedipus no no nope. that yeah. was like no none of that i don't remember really maybe my school was just shitty my high school but we had an ib program but I think, we had an international I think, bachelor but pr- program your, your curriculum is that pretty much generally sp- <laughs> generally speaking <laughs> this hey by the way the forum he's gonna say that a lot <laughs> generally speaking but that's the curriculum that most public schools use Definitely in the state. Uh, yeah, it's pretty standard. I think we did. I just don't remember. Maybe it was just... And they have Common Core now, which is pretty much setting the standard across most public schools in the nation. So you're going to learn the same stuff. And if they're not including that, then what kind of spin yeah, high education a bl- are you? You know, high school is a blur to me now, now that I think about it. Well, you would <laughs> know if like part of your English career... You, you're making me question myself. <laughs> Stop that. What 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 some of the, some of the books you read? Huckleberry Finn, yeah, um, The Lord of the Flies, all that kind of that generic okay. American literature in high school. Yeah, I read that in middle school. Ooh, Lord of the Flies, yeah. What else did we? Now you're thinking you're taking me back to middle school. What did we learn? What did we learn? I learned nothing. So, but that, I mean, I'm just making this point. Um, no, but we, I get. We bring up these ideas of like. Finding your own truth or ideas of how to live. It's influenced strongly by what you learn. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the, I agree with you. All right, let's move on. <laughs> You're not supposed to do philosophy while talking about philosophy. You're supposed to be boring and just talk about but it. But we didn't have Latin, unfortunately. Yeah, we didn't have Latin either or Greek, actually. You know what's annoying? I think in my school, the only, fr- you know, guess how many languages we had? We had English. No, no, we had, no, no. We had, uh, yeah, uh, we had um, French and Spanish. That's it. What did you guys have at a private not, school? Not much more. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like, it's la- an American thing, really. I think there's a, a larger, like, language education in general is really bad in yeah. most schools. So we, we had French, Spanish, and Japanese. Hey, at least you had Japanese. We didn't have that. We had a Japanese club, and I remember going to it, and it was like a bunch of like, kind of people in costumes who liked cartoons about Japanese people. I don't get the part where it was like related to Japan. I should have pursued some of those. Uh, never mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that rated R? <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. Um, but yeah, I I always wanted more options too. But like, I went to a small private school, so it's like, you can only get so much. Let's move on to the next. Okay, before we forget, let's move on to the next idea of Socrates, which is that you are not determined by what you own or your social status. I think at the time, that's definitely being really rebellious because at the time they would, at least the Athenians, they would ask you where, what state, what city are you from, right? That's the first thing they ask. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? What city? And then they also, yeah, they would probably get an idea if you're Athenian, what kind of person you'd be, right? Your social status and all that. That's 
It's not really a big deal. It still kind of resonates today, even in the I'll say the states, but not. It's not so much. How so? But if so, like if you say like you're from New York, okay. Kinda, oh, that's kinda yeah. Cool. It's like kind of cool. Uh, but you have not, your preconceived notions. It's not a big deal. But or like L.A., it's like okay, but it's not a big deal. But they're in the in the inverse. If you say like I'm from like Topeka, Kansas, you're like oh, it's a small town person. Mm-hmm. You get kind of the negative aspects of being from like the countryside. Oh, or of course, like yeah, yeah, Middle America. But I think that compared. Being from the big city, it doesn't have the same mm-hmm. clout. I get, I get what you're saying, but I guess there's a difference because. But in, I, I would say in, in China, like, oh, you're from Beijing. Oh, you're from Shanghai. Oh, it still has that kind of very it, classes. It, much more so, because I remember, I, re- I remember it. I, I could feel it a lot more. People would talk about and bring that up. Being from a certain place, uh, you, they think they're above. Yeah, but people. definitely in the Athenian times, yeah, it's a huge deal. Like you have to tell them. And this is funny enough why um, Diogenes said, I'm a cosmopolitan, the city of the universe. I think to be a witty asshole and be like, I'm not from any city. Screw your idea of trying to trying to objectify where I objectify me by, you know, seeing where I'm from and probably trying to have your preconceived notions about me, kind of that thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I see the rebellion in Socrates in this sense. He's probably saying, um, that doesn't matter. Don't ask me where I'm from. Ask me, hello, how are you? What's your name? Yeah, I, I agree. Because it depends what your motives are. But I think back then, that was the yeah. point to figure out, oh, what kind of person you are, how I like should look Like, what's your status? You. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think that kind of exists now, but obviously not as strong. But Here, here, no, not for status. Yeah. It's but just again, more, like I said, but it it's can more, be... But in a way, if you, ta- if you say, hey, I'm from Texas, people are going to be like, oh, you're a mega guy, huh? They do, or if you're from, I remember it was much stronger. Or before. from Seattle, when I was younger, like being from the South, you kind of had the idea, like, oh, you kind of things are a little slower. It's more like a little more backwards, but it's actually not even that true. The reality is, n- there may be some parts, but like for the most part, it's not true. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, no, exactly. It just depends on the context, you know. Even if you are from that city, you don't know what city. What part of the city you might be from? You might be from the slums. You might be from a mm-hmm. poorer area. You might be from, you might be from a penthouse in New York. You know, when when you talk to somebody and you tell them, right, "I'm from New York," right? But it does conjure an illusion of certain things. But uh, like I, you I, might be more worldly. You might be more intelligent. You might be more cosmopolitan in the regular sense. Yeah. The modern sense. And funny enough, I have the idea that places like San Francisco and Silicon Valley are trying to bring that back. Really? Don't you get that that sense that like, oh, San Francisco, we do, or Silicon Valley, we know, we understand the world and how things should be better. Like they, they that's one of those places where they think they are above other people. I like don't know. they're smarter than people. I don't know people from Silicon Valley, to be honest. Well, it's like that far left, I, I know it's good for you attitude. I know it's best for the whole country. Yeah, I I think I know what you're trying to say, but like I said, I haven't really any uh, heard anybody say that. You've never. I don't go out go out much. I mean, I'm always ki- reading philosophy. It's kind of the culture of it. I mean, you think about the this uh, kind of getting off, but like the tech companies, pretty much they're trying to 
kind of push ideas to yeah, fit their standard. I've never of met what anyone from be. from um, San Francisco. But Being if, from there is different from like. But if they said, "Yeah, I'm from Silicon Valley," I mean, I don't know if they would even say that. But if they did, yeah, I'd be like, "Hmm, what do you mean I'm from Silicon Valley?" You know what I mean? It's just like saying I'm from. But generally speaking, that's San Francisco. Yeah, I haven't been. I haven't been there. You, I, yeah, uh, I guess maybe I need to go there to get to understand that vibe. Yeah, but I know for people from Shanghai or Hong Kong. I remember I met them and they would say kind of have that um they would give off that vibe you yeah. ask them where you're from both or just you met Hong Kong no I see mostly Shanghai people like they kind of like oh I'm from Shanghai like it's very important that city you should know about it kind of that oh yeah definitely yeah definitely what do Chinese people think about that I'm curious there's I mean, they just see it as normal, right? They're like, hmm, doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, that's getting into other things. Because, like, in the Chinese system, like, the city you're from, you have, like, residency in the city. Oh, not the, yeah, the, that's, yeah. Let's not get too into yeah, that because so it's going to complicate things further. But, yeah, pretty much the point of all this spiel was, I don't think at that time, he, he probably wanted just to defy the status quo, um, Socrates, and saying that those kind of things that... Yeah, you, you're not determined by what you own or your social status. Because in Athens, that was what you kind of were objectified mm-hmm. by. What you own, how much wealth and power do you have? Because if you're in Athens, you're probably going to be... I, I don't remember. I don't know exactly what it took to be an Athenian. But if you're an Athenian in general, you are probably going to... I don't know if you, you could buy citizenship back then to be an Athenian. But there's some people I remember... in who buy citizenship from other countries. I know in China they do now? that. Uh, I mean... For the status. Yeah, there was some... Um, forgot who, which... Um, well, in China, I don't think it's for the status. I think it's for <laughs> other things. Kind of a contingency almost, or just like a way to... No, but I remember there was a Chinese billionaire who was buying a certain uh, passports. I forgot why she was doing that, but she was, yeah, I think it was for status. She was buying passports to countries that it's for money, moving money. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, moving money. Okay, that's true. You have the practical side of it. Yeah, it's like yeah, they don't really. The status doesn't like they're buying like maybe Greek. Who cares a Greek citizenship? Hey, hey we're, we're um, <laughs> but like that's not like. I know. Let's let's move. On. Let's do <laughs> modern stuff. Let's not com- <laughs> conflate it with stuff from the past. Yeah, because we're trying to relate this to cynicism. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's funny how we're doing that. People are going to be like, just talk about the damn philosophy. But anyway, um, our true self is our soul. And I think Socrates believed the soul was the essence of the human. So virtue, virtue, moral excellence, reason, etc. I think all that really mattered to him. Because those things are your soul. And I think that's probably why he got it. You know, the following stuff happened to him. He got, you know, um, in trouble with the law for these ideas. Like, wait a minute, soul? What about the gods? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So this got him in trouble, this, these ideas, funny enough. Anyway, um, do you know the story of Sisyph- Sisyphus? It sounds like a disease, but no. But anyway, it's a, I think maybe he was thinking about, because uh, Socrates mentioned... Um, the routine of life and i think what he was trying to say is that 
don't be like Sisyphus, you know, that Greek legend where there's a man who rolls a boulder up to the mountain and then it comes back down, right? That's not a life worth living, which is what people probably before philosophy did, right? They kind of just do, they don't see their life as something you could to ponder and be wonder and curious about and stuff like that. You just, you're essentially just going to work and just, you're living out the same routine, right? And that's essentially the story of Sisyphus where you just, that's your whole life. It's almost meaningless, well, at least to Socrates, because, you know, nowadays your your trade is something you can be proud of nowadays, right? If you're a welder, you can do a lot of object, you know, make a lot of objects and related. Yeah, there's to, almost pride in that sort yeah. of thing. But, but at least back then, people didn't have that. People, you know, before the, pre, the, the industrial revolution, people were just, you know, working on the farms, doing slave labor, being slaves. Yeah. A housemaid. There weren't many jobs like, you know. Everybody is very self-evident. So I think he was trying to say that you should be more curious about yourself and the world because it's kind of a, a small del- small luxury in life to do that, if you think about it. Because back then, you don't really have that luxury. You know, you have to work hard. So at least why not sit down and, if you even can, I mean, they didn't have breaks back then. But yeah, it's, it's funny because people would probably criticize Socrates nowadays. Like, well... Socrates, not everybody can just sit down and just ponder about life. We got to go to work. Which I I understand that thought. It's like... But I still think even if you have a crappy life, I think you should still try to take the luxury into understanding yourself. I guess like you build a system to where it kind of maximizes the benefit for the most amount of people in the end. Because, yeah, you can't just sit around talking about things. Doesn't get you everywhere you need to go, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, yeah, it's society as a whole. Okay, let's so. move on to the other two philosophers that birth cynicism, right? Because essentially, we're only bringing up um, Socrates because he relates to cynicism because these ideas about, you know, the good life, about Socratean dialogues, about just the, his his him as a person. I think too was very powerful for most people, even if. People respected him and wanted to hear him, though. So I think it did inspire people. So I don't think it's totally, like, um, out of his place to say, hey, maybe you should do this, even if you're working at a job that's, you know, probably, like, manual labor or working as a farmer or something like that. Or Because people really like Socrates, and they went out to hear his his lectures and stuff like that. And I think a lot of them became his students. And they probably, who knows, maybe with their newfound intellect, they try to, they gained a little bit of a higher status because they did, more knowledge was seen as something better in Athenian society. So I don't think it's totally useless. You know, even if you were probably a peasant, you're like, well, I can't, what is, what is thinking going to do to me? I think it inspired people a little bit more to see life as something more than just labor, but maybe you can understand yourself, learn more and do more. You know what I mean? That's why they um, liked him so much. And he also stat- he challenged the status quo. So he was a symbol, you know, something revolutionary. And I think that's how it relates to uh, Diogenes and all these other, other people. At least for Antisthenes, it was that way. And he described it. He was very fond of Socrates. And they had a, they were, he wasn't his favorite pupil, Antisthenes. I think his favorite pupil was, I think it was Plato's actually. From what my understanding was, it seems that way. But maybe I'm wrong. That's why a forum can debate me. Tell me what you think about that. But anyway, um, 
Let's talk about a th- uh, about Antisthenes because I think he's uh, in a way some people that's debatable. Some people consider him the first cynic because he had very he had, but most people would consider Arist. Um, he they would consider um, Antisthenes really the Soc- the Socratic. They wouldn't call him Antisthenes the cynic. They would call him Antisthenes the Socratic for that reason. They didn't have that word. It was later at the Diogenes, and he explained his fondness of Antisthenes. But um, it's very important to say, to bring the fact that Antisthenes was not fully Athenian, and that I think that's why he birthed these kind of ideas of cynicism, right? About your class, your ethnicity, all these certain things don't really matter. And because I think he really struggled with this, being half Athenian, half Thracian. And I think it's because something to do with he was born out of wedlock, and his father actually, you know, got involved with a serf, a slave. And that's why it was a big deal, too. And... Anything about Antisthenes is going to be a lot of, very debatable because there's different sources, if you go online, that say different things about him. So kind of bear with us. This is kind of things we um, saw when we were researching. But um, when he was young, yeah, he was a fighter. He fought in different wars. He fought in, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, Tanagra, and the Peloponnese War. So he was a fighter, just like um, Socrates Socrates is a war hero. So maybe this idea of, of hardiness, mental hardiness, and physical hardiness developed into the Adagenes ideas of uh, being a cynic. Because if you want to be a cynic, you have to be hardy physically and mentally. So I think this probably be him being a soldier and have, having a tough attitude and wanting to fight against all these people who kind of saw him as lower because of his his um, how he was mixed and how he may have been born on a wedlock, all these things that Athenians think about status, and also I think he was a lot more. I don't know how rich Antisthenes was, but I don't think he was as rich as the average Athenian. And I think, yeah, he had to go to, to a different school because of this. Actually, you mean oh, you mean early on in life? Yeah, early oh, yeah, on in yeah, life. Yeah, he had was... to, he had to go to a different school. Yeah, because of this. Um. um Ethnic thing, ethnic background actually, which kind of pretty much sucks. Yeah, it's just because I mean he's still Athenian. He's his father is he's half, but he has to go to the special school for people who are not like foreigners essentially. Mm-hmm. So that sucks, and I think that's definitely why he developed these cynic ideas of of disliking status, disliking wealth, and all this stuff, and how why he pushed so so much against it because you know all the other philosophers like. Socrates and Plato, they were Athenian, and I think they were well off. So the fact that they were well off and they were Athenian, they do have a sense privilege because they get to go to the better schools and get to learn more. But uh, Antisthenes never let this bring him back, and I think that's why he's important to the school of the cynics, and I think that's why Diogenes liked him. But anyway, let's talk about... um, his teacher, he his teacher was Gorgas. How do you pronounce that? Gorgas? As uh, good as I think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, he was a f- sophist. 
During that period, sophists who advocated abolition of ancient Athenian rules, including discrimination within the population based uh, based on lineage and all that, wealth, place, the place of origin, they were popular among the masses. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, the plebeians could get on with that, that idea, like, wait a minute, yeah, we're not completely worthless because of these circumstances we were just born with. We were, we were poor. We didn't choose that. We were... Um, um, our status based on the city we were born born in, all that, we didn't really choose that. So why should we be treated this way? And I think that's why people like the sophists. Anyway, um, yeah, the rulers feared sophists from my understanding. And they had a lot of sway over the commoners. And I think that's why, and especially you can see this because Antisthenes' um, teacher, Georgias, which was a sophist, definitely had a huge impact on his um, life and his education. But yeah, I think they were afraid of a revolution. This was like a revolution in the making. You have to, uh, That'd be crazy if that happened. But the sophists, who had a lot of story with the commoners, could rile them up against the system. Because essentially, that's what was happening. I think people, that's why knowledge is important. Knowledge about yourself and your surroundings. Because when you understand things, you're probably not, and I think we talked about this. When you understand the situation, you're going to f- probably fight back. And I think that's the reason why Athenians probably wanted to keep them down below their feet, you know? Because if you have an, educa- an educated populace, they're more likely to question things and want to change things. And they can't have that. I think the, Athen- I think the, the, average, the Athenians wanted to be democratic, but w- when it related to wealth and power and stuff like that. So... But yeah, any, anyway, Antisthenes was enamored by Georgas and the Sophists. Georgas taught the young Athenians the art of rhetoric and other valuable skills that were help, helpful in building him as a thinker later. With Georgas and the Sophists, he found common cause. The need to reform the society, once he criticized, but he was criticized by an Athenian noble for trying to pursue higher studies, funny enough. Despite his poor lineage, Antisthenes replied to the nobleman saying, nor were they both wrestlers, but yet I am a wrestler. You know, he's insinuating that his family didn't determine an individual's quest for knowledge of choice or profession. And yeah, he had a, he, I think, yeah, that's what made him tough. I think he had to deal with a lot of these Athenians shitting on him, even probably his fellow soldiers. Like, you're not one of us. You'll never be. You're half, you know? So he's probably, this is probably why he developed these ideas. Because you knew how to find a way to, a system that will be able to let you cope with these kind of things, you know? Like, how do you deal with that? It's crazy. Um, yeah, he really liked Socrates. And he would, I remember he, uh, when I was reading about Tistanites, he, ha- he would walk an hour a day or an hour and a half just to see his lectures. So I imagine a lot of commoners, because, you know, Antisthenes was pretty much a commoner, probably flocked to Socrates. That's why he became so famous, right? Because he had revolution. I think it was pretty revolutionary to deny these things that kind of the Athenians built on. Wealth, status, power, and all these commoners come in and want to hear this and like, hmm, this guy has a point. Anybody can really become a philosopher in a sense, because anybody can question themselves and ideas and places. So let's talk more about his battle. Now, I know we're jumping back and forth about Antisthenes' battles, but his battles kind of are kind of important because 
they obviously changed them. Antisthenes fought at the Second Battle of Tamagra, of the Peloponnese War, and his fellow veteran Socrates, who was a war hero, commended his bravery in the battlefield, unlike other Athenians who regarded him still as a half-breed barbarian Thracian. So, yeah, I think that's probably why he liked Socrates too. Fellow veteran, fellow soldier, at least different wars, obviously, because Antisthenes was definitely a lot younger than Socrates. I think he was like 20 years younger, 15 years. Mm. So he probably saw him as a father figure, not mm-hmm. a father figure, but somebody who's it's probably a badass. I mean, he's a war hero. He's really smart. He's very charismatic. And apparently he, Socrates was very eccentric. So I think that also played into it. You know, like not like the average philosopher or, yeah, average selfist, probably revolutionary and counterculturally, you know, he was kind of, he was a rebel, essentially. But anyways, Xenophon and other people of Socrates with an Athenian journal who also looked at uh, Socrates as a war hero. And I don't know too much about the Xenophon and Antisthenes, whether or not they were friends. But I, I, from what I understand, there are documents, or I think there's a document, I think I sent, I sent it to you, that they were at a dinner party and he talked about Antisthenes. I think maybe he he seemed to like him from these writings. But um, le- we're not going to talk about that because Xenophon, the Athenian general, doesn't really play into Antisthenes. I think Socrates does way more, but... Let's go. Let's move on to his interactions with Plato, because funny enough, Antisthenes really did not like Plato, because Plato was pretty much essentially everything Antisthenes does not like. He was arrogant and he really cared, I think, about his status and his class. You know, so according to according to legend, they would Antisthenes and Plato would often criticize criticize each other's philosophies. Xenophon likewise was said to have become estranged from Plato. Antisthenes taunted him for being arrogant, comparing him to a proud, showy horse. It's sometimes thought that the Xenophon's account of Socrates was more faithful, whereas Plato embellished his Socratic dialogue with his own ideas and notions derived from the Pythagoreanism. So it's funny because this is kind of the con. I can see why Antisthenes would not like Plato, because you can Plato probably wanted to use, I guess, in a sense, the clout of Socrates to uplift himself and mm-hmm. to make it seem like somebody who was great like Socrates was pretty much Plato. You know what I mean? It's kind of like getting somebody's, um, having somebody's essays and then paraphrasing them and then making it seem like it was your own work. Yeah, like you came up with the ideas and such. I can see that why that's why Antisthenes probably disliked Plato's. And I think maybe that influenced... We were talking about this before the pre-discussion. Um, why Diogenes probably hated <laughs> Plato too, because they pretty much stand for everything that cynics hate, which is you know status, world power, and all this arrogance and stuff based on all that. But um, let's talk about Socrates' death because it's really important to Antisthenes, I think, as well. Because after Socrates' death, by the way, which was very controversial, right? Because he was essentially killed for heresy. He pretty much, his ideas almost seemed, this is where it gets kind of dodgy, why they um, executed him or why they, they tried him. They tried him because he said he was corrupting the youth. 
and he was also um, defiant. He was impiety. I don't know what the word imp- disrespectful to the gods, impiety to the gods. Just because he had ideas about the soul, right? And they thought, hmm, you know, this seems very disrespectful to our gods that exist already, right? So that's probably what why he got executed. Anyway, after he got executed, Socrates, Xenophon. By the way, I think Xenophon is very credible compared to Plato when we're talking about Antisthenes because Plato talked pretty badly about Antisthenes. Xenophon seemed to have a more, by, uh, more neutral viewpoint of him. But he felt a lot. Obviously, he was sad. It was his teacher, right, Socrates? So he vowed. This is the part that's, in, that's debated, right? Because I think we were talking about this too that he vowed vengeance against the prosecutors. And apparently, you know, some people say he did and he didn't, right? But anyway, I was also thinking about why they why they executed Socrates. I don't think it was because impiety and just corrupting the youth. I think I know what it is. I think it's because his Socratic dialogues opened the way for for people to criticize people. And if he probably criticized people who didn't want to be criticized because he talked a lot about virtue, right? Socrates, virtue mean virtue meaning you know morality and all that. And when you call people out, call people out on not being virtuous, which virtue is obviously something people value in society, they probably got a lot of attention, unwanted attention, from being criticized by Socrates. That's my idea why they probably killed them. To so- be honest. You think they killed him to kind of send a message? I I think of like this is what happens. <laughs> maybe honestly, <laughs> sort of like the gangster method. Do, keep, I don't keep acting like him and see what happens. But why I like the only part? Maybe why didn't they go after others? Why just him? Well, because Socrates was the kind of the forerunner of all of this. He was like kind of the uh, head, the symbolism. Yeah, but, I mean, the others, I guess, I assumed, maybe at this point they weren't that big enough of figures yeah, to they really w- be important. Because I think Antisthenes became a figure after his death. That that's what propelled him to wanting to start a school. Or, But let's get into that, actually. By the way, you also read that the that two of the three prosecutors were killed or exiled thanks to Antisthenes. This is the shady part, because apparently something happened to the people who killed Socrates. Either they were run out, or exiled, or killed by the jurors. This this part was dodging me, because I always hear, th- and maybe this can be something we talk to um, talk about with a historian. What happened with these prosecutors of Socrates? Because, you know, Xenophon was talking about how Antisthenes vowed revenge and vengeance, right? And, okay, there's about a 20-year difference. This is, like, after 50, he's doing all this. It's pretty wild. Oh, Socrates died around 70. Yeah, so at this point... Yeah. He died... And, and by the way, he apparently Socrates could have ran away... He could have ran away from all this. He had the chance. But I think he did... He wanted to die on purpose. That's another thing, too. He wanted to die a martyr's death and to show that a philosopher should not fear death. So that was kind of the ultimate symbol. That's why people always paint Socrates as drinking from this um, cup because they they forced him to drink hemlock. What Do you know about hemlock? No. I don't know what that is either, but apparently hemlock is poisonous, so 
he he purposely drank the hemlock so he could he could die. Ah, so he become a martyr, right? And then I think yeah, he he made a good choice because he. I'm pretty sure Socrates was seventy, and he probably thought, you know what, it's my time. Think he was close to death. I'm th- I'm thinking that the, he could have run away, and there was a reason why he didn't want to run away because I think he wanted to prove a point. That's my idea. He wanted to die a martyr's death. But anyway, let's get past this because you know this is all up to speculation whether or not he did this because he wanted to, or he, whether or not his punishers were accused, but or why they uh, they really. Killed him. These are just ideas thrown out. Don't quote us on your little history project <laughs> if you're watching this. Go reach it, research it yourself, the trial of Socrates about his life, and maybe get an idea for yourself. You might find some inconsistencies, though. Do your own research. Yeah, that's the whole... Don't, don't ever cite us, because especially <laughs> if they come here and they're going to hear what we're saying. Yeah, you're going to get... <laughs> Imagine it, what what was the most controversial thing we said today? Uh, I probably said oh the <laughs> oh the congratulations to the that'd be hilarious if there was some kind of history teachers like huh they cited you let's go to your podcast and see what you have to say or your little script right like what you can't cite this guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> that automatically just like. <laughs> No, nah, you can't cite him. No. Ruins our credibility as a source because <laughs> he made the joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the way, that's f- that's the idea Antisthenes came up with, to be frank. That's the cynic thing. You know, cynics really, they value satire and humor and direct, ta- you know, being direct. And that's something from Antisthenes. Maybe he got it from Socrates, too. Because I think there was something called, um, yeah, I think Socrates had a a, a word for this. Was it? Let me look this up real quick. A word for... To describe his way of talking. I think he was considered a gadfly? Gadfly? Is that an actual type of fly? I don't know. How do you spell it? G-A-D-F-L-I. Why? Gadfly. Yeah. It's a type of fly. Yeah. A fly that bites livestock, especially a horse fly, warble fly, or a bot fly. An annoying person, especially one who provokes others into action by criticism. A person who interferes with the status quo of a society or community by posing novel, potentially upsetting questions. I think it's important because you don't want to get stagnant at any point. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I'm not sure if Socrates called himself a godfly. But I know Antisthenes, I think, no, I don't even know if Antisthenes was called a gadfly. But I know that that word was thrown around there because that's that was the way of starting a Socratic dialogue. Probably a witty comeback and say, hmm, do you really think this and that, you know? And then people got got to, got to talking by this kind of method of gadflying them, you know? Maybe criticizing them and showing them, you know what I mean? You know? But let's um, go back to Antisthenes. So after, yeah, his death, Antisthenes, armed with Socratic thoughts and Sophist principles, he started teaching at something called the Sinosargis, a, genis- a gymnasium by Athens. And a bulk of Antisthenes' 
doctrines obviously originated from Socrates. And Antisthenes preached that virtue can be taught and it's not inherent, adding that only those who are virtuous qualify as noblemen and apparent affront to Plato and other peers of aristocratic lineage who had mocked him at Socrates' school due to his humble antecedents. Man, he's always... And, and I felt like <laughs> Plato probably mocked Antisthenes all the time. That's why he disliked him. He's like, you poor boy. Antisthenes quoted his master Socrates as an epitome of virtue. He taught the characteristic of being virtuous leads to copious contentment and happiness, as was amply demonstrated by Socrates. Though his eccentric yet simple life, Antisthenes further preaches the virtue of successful culmination of good deeds that can be achieved without proclamation of noble intentions. It's funny because you're like, you're reading from a script, aren't you? It's like, yeah, I am. It's wordy stuff. But, um, yeah, this can be easily researched. And if you read his biography, you'll learn a lot about Antisthenes. More than actually, the hit, I think biographies are important because you get to see why they think those things. Right, you know what I mean? Maybe history also teaches you that, but biographies can be sometimes more powerful because you understand, especially from his point of view, he was probably made fun of a lot, and that's why he honestly became a cynic in a way. What do you think? Do you think he... Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some... You would think there's some trigger. Maybe it's just like you just naturally have these sort of thoughts, and then... Things just come together. I'm curious what what Antisthenes' trigger word was. What do you think trigger trigger word? (laughs) Yeah, what was his trigger word? I think half breed. They probably call him. I'm thinking they call him half breed. Oh, you mean trigger word that upset him? Yeah, probably barbarian. He's probably he was probably called barbarian all the time. Probably a lot of things. Probably a lot of insults at that time. Half halfy, hapa, (laughs) mongrel mutt. Probably all those things. I imagine. Yeah. And I think this is why, like I said, we keep talking about this, but I can't stress this enough that he probably emphasized being mentally and physically tough for this reason. He probably, I don't know about him. That's the thing about his life. Since he's not, he was an Athenian um, descendant, he wasn't a citizen. And citizens, I guess, therefore, it's they didn't record his life as much. Apparently, because he was half, he couldn't even become a citizen, I mean, which sucks. I think, yeah. Definitely part of it that like the physical toughness comes from you being at war. Like yeah. mo- most military people like they kinda mm-hmm. maintain that, you know, you need to be tough. You they continue to work out and things like that. Yeah, and I, I don't know if Socrates I become emphasized it emphasized it as much. But I think yeah, I think he did we yeah, we'd have to go into Socrates a little bit more to talk about that, whether or not he emphasized toughness. But I know Antisthenes really, really emphasized it. Almost got tongue, tongue twister. Yeah, because, like, I mean, I, I agree. I don't agree with the needing to be physical tough. I'm not a noodle arm. but like. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a noodle arm? They're going to be like, oh, we'll find that out, Dio. We'll find that out. <laughs> There's these guys. <laughs> it just reminds me of a video I saw. Okay, um, talk about the video. Screw it. It's a, like Trump, th- Trump making fun of Antifa. He's like, you got these guys, and they got arms like this. <laughs> <laughs> he said that, wow. And, like, and he shows it like a tube. He got arms like this, and they wear these big jackets, but when they take off the jackets, you see their arms. And noodle like e- did he call them noodle arms? <laughs> he didn't. I wish he would have, but he didn't. Noodle arms. Noodle. But 
I don't think it's important. I mean, but it just depends on the environment you're raised in. Well, it's not necessarily to use physicality. You just be like, okay, I'm well, fit, but I don't need to be necessarily like tough. you know. I know what you mean, but I think they only. He probably brought it up because the Greeks had the idea as um, sharp body, sharp mind. You know what I mean? Like if you have a healthy body, you're gonna have a healthy brain. Obviously, there's a correlation with that. Mm, definitely. Yeah. If you have a if you're working out, you know, you're probably gonna feel better and Were they going perform better. For like the jacked look, maybe look at the old uh, sculptures. They're all pretty jacked. They all, they all looked cut. Yeah, especially since yeah, they probably did well for themselves and probably made some good money with all these schools. I I don't know. How do you get jacked back then? What do they do? What's their routine? Philosophy. <laughs> They're just like lifting all the books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, lifting <laughs> these books, the scrolls, benching bookshelves. But apparently Plato was Jack too. Yeah, you see the the at least like Yeah, if you look at his picture, he looks He looks like a tank. He's cut. <laughs> and he looks like a big dude. Yeah, I mean he was from aristocratic lineage, so I'm guessing he was he had a good diet. So I'm probably, looking at these and I'm like, back then they were built like this? I'm no noodle arm. <laughs> <laughs> there was no noodle arm boys back then. No noodle arms. But yeah, obviously him being a soldier does have a huge influence. That's got to be the, probably the largest influence, I would think. Should we put um, for the description of the episode noodle arm? <laughs> now, <laughs> I've never heard of this term until now. Noodle arm. Two barms. Just <laughs> basement dwellers. Is <laughs> is. It's funny. It's like, yeah, he's going back to his basement now. <laughs> back to his mom's basement with his noodle arms. All right, let's move on to Antisthenes again. Okay, so because after Antisthenes, we're not, we're not really going to go into Diogenes, into Shitter and Pisser, Diogenes. Surprisingly, okay, there was funny enough another Diogenes. There is Diogenes, obviously, of Sinope, the Cynic, and there's also Diogenes Lertius. I don't even know how to pronounce that. He was a historian. So a lot of this has to do with Diogenes of... No, not Diogenes of Sinope. Diogenes of La, Laterius. His, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. A quick question. Do, like, modern Greeks still, like... Is this, like, names they still use? I wish we had some Greek guy in the forum we could talk to about. Do you guys still use his names? And, I mean, like... It's a noodle arm name. <laughs> like, <laughs> we still use, like, ancient... Names here. Well, that's true. So I'm wondering if they do the same thing. There's like a Diogenes. If I like get on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going on. This is some like goofy Diogenes. Greek dudes. <laughs> right? Goofy. He's a noodle arm. <laughs> noodle arm Greek guy. Named Diogenes. Yeah, right. And he doesn't shit. All right. You shouldn't piss on people. <laughs> um, no. You, yeah, you're not. Don't don't use that name. You're a phony. Yeah, phony, a big fat phony, big but fat phony. but yeah, Diogenes of Laertius. A lot of this has to do. All of these historical documents really can be traced back to him because he described the lives of these philosophers. But obviously, there is even some holes in what he said. So, uh, really, you have to see, see different sources about these people, from Xenophon, from Diogenes, from Plato. They all have conflicting views. On each other, because obviously Plato did not like Antisthenes, so he described Antisthenes in a certain way. Xenophon was a friend of Di uh, of Antisthenes, so he probably was more neutral about him. I don't know if they were friends actually, but it seemed like 
He didn't say anything bad about him. And Aristotle, I know for a fact, also wrote badly about Antisthenes. And Aristotle is a student of Plato. So it's funny how you see this, like, I guess we can even say it hypocritical because it's like, think for yourself. But they're obviously swayed by the opinions of their teacher as well. That's why it's important. And I'm, I'm betting you, Plato probably told um, his student Aristotle, like, yeah, you know that guy Antisthenes? Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> don't write uh, don't write anything good about him. A little bit of ego coming into play. Don't write anything about him that's relatively nice or positive. Yeah, I'm sure they played those. He same, was a noodle arm. <laughs> the same games. Yeah, of course. So that's why I, I bring up Diogenes of Laterinius because of this reason. He probably as a historian and a chronologicler, that's what they a chronicler. That's what they called him. He probably has a little bit more of an objective view on this, if about their lives. So, it's an, if anybody wants to cite this, if they were, you know, maybe there's some. Where kid, he, he some, doesn't really, he didn't really have any skin in the game, so he would give him more an ob- objective opinion about. Yeah, he was just there overseeing this. He wasn't really involved, from my understanding. That's why, if anybody wants to cite anyone, maybe cite this guy. From my understanding, because he seems to be a little bit more consistent. But um, um, let's move on to, I think one of the teachings of Antisthenes that's important is the type of goods. And teaching people how to be virtuous, Antisthenes um, had two objects. External goods, embracing such elements as personal property, sensual pleasure, and other luxuries and two internal goods, including the truth and knowledge of the soul. He advocated for a greater stand on the part of an individual tempted to take pleasure pleasure in external goods. Rather, he cared about internal goods. And I think the reason why he talks about external goods and internal goods is really, again, again I think his upbringing really plays into this. It's because he probably would have liked to be described more in terms of his internal goods rather than his external goods because obviously he wasn't as rich as these aristocratic Athenians, right? So it's like uh, judge people by who they are inside rather than what they own. That's another part of cynicism because, you know, they're against materialism and stuff like that. I think something that's positive. I think even now I was remembering, um, yeah, I don't want to bring up Tommy Lauren, but I was remembering she kind of, you remember that um, Tommy Lauren, what happened with her? She was kind of, she was involved in a couple of things when she was. She had that one PSA for men, right? And she. Oh t- yeah, that kind of. And, and it reminds me. I of, never watched it, but. But I, she was pretty much saying that men are trash and they're men are boys, right? And, and all that stuff, and that she was saying that. She put an emphasis more on. What they uh, what they could do for women rather than what they are internally, you know, external goods. Mm-hmm. And it reminds you of this because I was listening to that today. And I'm like, hmm, it's just like people are described a lot about in in terms of their external goods, what they own, you know, status, wealth, power, and she really she talks a lot about that, right? If you ever look up her video, or she insinuates it, and she shows it in her actions, right, with all the controversies with you know her fiance who gave her a $50,000 ring she dumped him from what I understand right for another guy who was higher status reminds you of that that this still is actually very relevant all this stuff because yeah people still think the the way p- 
people probably have always kind of, well, at least people who are of higher status, you know, you are what you own. You know what I mean? Yeah, and what? Yeah, it's kind of never ending. But anyway, um, let's talk about Antisthenes as a cynic, and rather than a Socratic, because I think. Why are you laughing? No, it just just reminded me of uh, what. <laughs> just say. Did it. I ever tell you about the story of Darth Plagueis <laughs> the, the, the wise? The butterflies. The butterflies. Yeah. Um, no, tell me the story of the well, butterflies. <laughs> Does this have to do with the Antisthenes or the cynics? <laughs> it has to do with the, like... Tommy Lauren? No, 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 no. Just, like, the internal... Internal goods. <laughs> internal goods <laughs> no, sounds no, no, very internal, sexual. Yeah. You know that? Internal oh, goods. Oh, your internal goods. Yeah, of course, Antisthenes. Your internal goods. Which... I, I agree with. I, 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 we, I do agree. Right. <laughs> Explain the butterflies. The butterflies are two people. <laughs> okay, what are okay? Okay, explain. Who ended up, like, staying with me at my apartment in China. Wait, what? I thought this was some kind of, like, little fable where you're like, the two butterflies. No, 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 no. But they were very much, like, spiritual, like... Two oh, social butterflies? <laughs> Not social butterflies, like... Being outgoing and like trying to what they, kind of what kind of were, why are you describing these people as butterflies? Because they're just like f- free, like oh, oh just, I get kind of like everything's cool, like oh, this oh. money doesn't matter, the possessions doesn't matter, but ah, uh, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah, in a modern they sense, were super leechy though. Really? Okay, yeah. let's explain this. They drink all my milk. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. I can imagine we're just. Like, you should talk to. If you were in a philosophy <laughs> class, you should have said that to the teacher. It's like, okay, today we're talking about Antisthenes, the father of cynicism, the proto father of cynicism. Does anybody have any questions? You know, he talked about internal goods, external goods. You're like, yeah, I knew some of these people who talked about it. I recognized this raw strength before. They told me the same thing. They didn't care about external goods. They only care about internal goods. Guess what? They consumed all my external goods. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> they had no money. Yeah, that's why practice what you preach, right? Oh, they just... They had no money, and I was pretty pretty much, like, taking <laughs> care of them. That's... Okay, if you ever have a story, like, about... And, like, about, horrendous work ethic... And just like, but I love how this just triggered you. You're like, wait a minute, I've heard this before. <laughs> I've heard of this before. <laughs> I mean, be you, careful, people who say this. External you gotta, goods. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta bring some value besides just. No, no I know what you're yeah. saying because that's that's why, that's the criticism of uh, criticisms of cynicism. Funny enough, the old cynicism, is that, in a sense, like, hmm, not many people want to live. With just a staff and a cloak and a wine jar. They just... Some people want, probably want to live a normal life. Because Socrates lived a normal life. And Tistanes seemed to live a normal life. And they were pretty much the um, proto-cynics in a way. Yeah. And right. it's like, hmm. It's like, how do you... And that's that's they, why... They, Stoic- lived, they lived at like a commune at one point with like a shaman or something. Mm. Por- I think it was in Portugal. Crazy oh, interesting. It was like a like spiritual compound... Where people just go there and kind of 
They drink all your milk. They try to drink all your milk. <laughs> but it's once you leave that compound <laughs> and you enter my house, <laughs> now you just drink all be, my milk. Be careful with the cynic that goes into your house. <laughs> exactly. You might be it's starting like, to say this now. <laughs> it depends on w- kind of... It's... It's situational. Yeah, situational. But that's why stoicism, cynicism became stoicism. And eventually, that's why it's important to talk about that. Because you're like, hmm, what are you trying to teach us here, Gio and Gene? What are you trying to teach us to live in a tub with a cloak and a, and a staff and go around with a lantern looking for honest men like Diogenes? Like, well, not yes or no. Because obviously, you probably guys live you live in 2020 and are probably a post-industrial society. So obviously, you need to... Live like a normal human being unless you want to go live. Unless you want to live this, the life of a cynic, I guess you could do that still. You take your cloak and your staff and go live in the... Essentially, the modern cynics, in a sense, kind of recluse, kind of. People live in the frontier. That's one way of achieving it, in a sense. Living in accordance with your nature and in nature. But that's really for another day. But, yeah, I think, yeah, there, there are some definite criticisms. Because you hear this, you're like, hmm, sounds good. But how is it applied, right? Especially in today's society. And that's why stoicism plays... That's why it's a, it's more popular than cynicism. Because cynicism is a lot, is a proto, proto-stoicism, and it's very extreme. So the stoicism part comes in where you can do all the stuff that the cynics do, but you apply it to regular life. Mm-hmm. Rather than trying... The cynics are trying to reject all this. They're trying to reject the these um, conventions of society. Right, and it's funny because you talked about this in the pre-discussion. Funny enough, you were talking about that these people who try to be attached, detached from society, become more attached in a sense. Uh, yeah, kind of the paradoxical, hypocritical way. Of well, it's it's. I think it's kind of like, um, and that's why. Yeah, what that's why know. cynics are considered. By the way, if you ever talk to somebody who's Latin. Latin American or Spanish speaker. If you call them what a uh, cynical, right? The Spanish way of saying cynic, they will probably say shamelessness, hypocritical, negative, and a criticizer. That's the uh, that's the first thing to po- they will probably tell you. The average um, go go and tell somebody who uh, yeah it's yeah kind, have it's you heard like yeah the one problem with a lot of cynics or cynical people is like when you go at people about to to critic criticize them but it's like okay so what are you doing we're the true cynics we're, we're criticizing them in a sense right yeah you're true you're true cynic <laughs> yeah i'm criti- i'm criticizing the they probably the, the would founders of <laughs> it's funny because they probably wouldn't like that. that that's the interesting part about it they'd be like, wait a minute no we we figured out life if I was around at those times man i would be dominating these people well you you'd probably be like a Tistanese. Because I think Antisthenes, well, he died. From what I understand, Antisthenes died before Diogenes. Oh, yeah, it might have been. So I think he might have, if he actually had lived. Because, you know, that's another debate. Because did Antisthenes know Diogenes, right? Because there's another um, debate between this. Because based on the archaeological evidence of Diogenes, you know, he defaced the currency. And that's why he was exiled from Sinope and he went to Athens, right? He was relinquished his citizenship from that area apparently he it doesn't confine 
it doesn't register with the day Antisthenes died. Based on this archaeological evidence, modern scholars are debating this. But we obviously know, even if he was in Sinope and he was a lot younger than Antisthenes, he definitely had an, in, an influence. He was influenced by his ideas, just like Socrates, who both have very similar ideas, by the way. So let's go back to, before we go into Diogenes, let's talk a little bit more about Antisthenes as a cynic. Now, every time we think, I think of a cynic or the internal or external goods, I'm always going to think about milk now. <laughs> I, I should say, like, it wasn't just one bottle of milk. <laughs> like, yeah. I had, the like, a whole case or box of, like, long-life milk. It was a lot of milk. <laughs> wow. They, they probably mil- drank a lot drank of milk in Portugal. All the milk. And I had the expectation that they would replenish the milk, and they never did. <laughs> hey, God. Hey, remember, external goods. So they just drank all External goods don't matter. Remember that. Okay. So some people claimed Antisthenes taught Diogenes. And there's actually a quote where Diogenes apparently said because um antisthenes by the way the cloak and the staff i think it was something that antisthenes from my understanding developed he had a cloak and a staff and it was very um iconic and people were, i think diogenes was someone who adopted it either that or he came up with it first i don't know i always see conflicting sources about this do you know did you ever read who was the one who started that um idea where wearing the cloak and staff as your Normal uh, gowns and stuff. Maybe, but I can't remember clearly. So. Yeah, exactly. And it's from my understanding, I hear. Yeah, I usually hear. It was Antisthenes because the staff has something to do with him being an, an officer, in the oh. Athenian army. That's why he had the staff. Not really, bec- it was a military thing. I don't know if he was an officer, but I I know Spartan officers they have a stick to a staff. That they used to to beat people with who are who need to be beat, you know, they're lessers. And yeah, I heard that uh, he had a silver one. He would kind of, Antisthenes would a silver one. Apparently, he had a silver one. It's pretty boss. And he would, don't quote me on this. Research this yourself because I, want I a silver staff now. That's and what, what he would do was, or at least coated in silver. I don't know what it, how, but it was a staff that he would. Apparently using his students who wanted to be his pupils. And he was very selective. So there's a story that Diogenes went to him and he said, I want to be your student. And Antisthenes pretty much said, How, why should you be my student? Prove it to me, right? Use, because he, he was a man of action. That's why these philosophers of like Socrates and, and Antisthenes were different. Because they, they believed in action rather than just talking, right? So Diogenes tried to say, try to make him his teacher. And he's like, he would smack him away with the staff, and he's just like, "No earthly wood can ever keep me away from you." Apparently, that's what he said, but I don't like. I said, "That's uh, up to debate based on some of the evidence, at least the archaeological evidence of the coins and when Antisthenes died and stuff." There's, you know, he didn't say like. That's a kind of a suspect quote. No earthly wood. And keep me away from you. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like yeah, he's it sounds like something extra Diogenes would say, but at the same time, yeah, we don't know. But anyway, um most people, yeah, apparently most scholars believe that modern scholars say that it was impossible that they could ever meet. Nevertheless, 
It's almost certain that Diogenes would have heard of Antisthenes and would have been exposed to his philosophy. So, in a sense, I guess, he's still kind of the main cynic because his ideas influence Diogenes. And Diogenes of Laertius, for example, says, From Socrates he learned patience and endurance, emulating his attitude of indifference, and, be- and so became the former founder of the cynic way of life. He demonstrated that the pain is a good thing by instancing the great Heracles and Cyrus, drawing that one example from the Greek word, world and the other from the barbarians. Yeah, but yeah, I think people think that... I think it's really because of the, the historian Diogenes. He painted the cynics and the Stoics as having much in common and and probably that's has something to do with why people have this mythos of Antisthenes and Diogenes and all that because there's like a lineage right it comes with Antisthenes Diogenes then Diogenes student which was Crate of Thebes uh, I forgot how to pronounce his name and after that Zeno which is the first Stoic so I think maybe they do it just like wishful thinking, yeah. There's more of like a direct, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that idea. Them all. There's an idea of that, but you know what? We could always talk to scholars about this because we're not really scholars. We're just, we're just casuals, really. But I do think that's interesting that people might think that it's just for the sake of the story that they're all related and they all knew. Each- but I think there's some evidence, though. There's a lot of evidence pointing towards it, at least some of them. At least, um, I need, I know from, for example, Zeno, the first Stoic, and one of Diogenes' pupils definitely had, definitely that were, there's a lineage there. But with Antisthenes and Diogenes, I don't know about that. But it would obviously sound better if they were all related, right? Because there's like a lineage and stuff. It's more epic. Yeah. Better for storytelling, you know? Mm-hmm. There is a lot left, and we're going to end up making this two hours, so... I think we should keep the Diogenes part for the next episode. But still, we're going to end up talking about Antisthenes. Uh, yeah, because it's a... Or does it get in? No, it does, yeah. Yeah, it gets into uh, Diogenes. We, we've reached Diogenes now? Yep, Diogenes right here. Oh, uh, you can't see what I'm seeing. You go down. Oh, I see, I see. No, no, no. Yeah. So I think we should... Diogenes deserves his one episode because obviously he deserves his one episode. About what he directly said. You know, his writings are... He had a few writings, it's so, like Antisthenes, but they kind of... Maybe they were burnt on purpose so the cynics wouldn't become popular. Who knows, right? But there's no, like... Compared to Plato, suspiciously enough, a lot of his works are still... I think most they weren't lost to history. So who knows why? I don't... not going to... I can speculate and all that, but... Speculation, but... That's why let's talk about Diogenes on episode four. Let's make it completely about him. Obviously, Antisthenes will play into it, but let's do outro. Any other? Do you have any other ideas or anything you want to talk about? Um, no, I think uh, I got most of the ideas out, and they'll come back in future episodes. External goods. <laughs> don't drink people's milk and not that's the whole thing we're just not replenish it. 
Exactly. That was the whole point we were trying to bring up with the the whole episode. Yeah, these guys <laughs> were just a bunch of hypocrites. They would probably just drink your milk it's just and just talked about all this stuff. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I just imagine that. All right, let's get to it. Outro. This packing. Parabellum.